welcome to the Kicks EAP podcast, your monthly podcast with important leaders in education from Eastern Europe, Middle East and North Africa, Central Asia, and the Asia Pacific. I'm your host, Ryan Allen, assistant professor at Chapman University here in Southern California, and my own background is in international and comparative education. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the Kicks EAP podcast. And today we have Dr. Shazad Jiva, director of the Aga Khan University Examination Board and an assistant professor of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences at the university. In the interview, we discuss his own educational trajectory, moving from the hard sciences to the field of education. Likewise, we further contextualize the education system in Pakistan and how his organization is attempting to move the sector away from rote memorization to a more hands-on critical thinking type of curriculum. Let's go to the interview. All right. Welcome, Dr. Jiva, to the Kicks EAP podcast. Thank you for joining us today. If we could maybe just jump into your, your background a little bit. You did a, a BA and then a, a master's degree uh, in, in Pakistan, and then you did your, your PhD uh, in the UK. So can you maybe talk a little bit about your educational background and how you, how you sort of jumped uh, from Pakistan to uh to Cambridge University. I am delighted that you've uh, selected me to be a part of this podcast. I, I would say it's a very exciting, uh, it was a very exciting journey. And uh, it all started, uh, you know, in my schooling days when I was in school, I went to uh, low cost private school in Pakistan um, and then went on to do my degree in science in, you know, for the high schools uh, where we had to select, you know, either you become or you want to be an engineer or a doctor. So, <clears throat> so you know, I was not sure uh, what I really want to, uh, or in which field I want to go into. And I was exploring more areas uh, which would excite me. But, you know, in my 12th grade, you know, we have K-12 system in Pakistan, and then you enter university. Uh, so in my 12th grade, I, um, read about organic chemistry and I fell in love with that subject. And uh, I went to my parents and I told them that, uh, you know, I don't want to become an engineer and I want to do my PhD in organic chemistry. Um, you know, in, in Pakistan, the decision makers are usually parents, you know, they decide you become a doctor or engineer. Uh, and, you know, my, my parents, my father during dinner time, he looked at me and said, what about being an engineer? And I said, uh, you know, I don't want to be because, uh, you know, I, and I want to do my PhD in organic chemistry. And he asked me why. And that was a very important question. And uh, my response to him was that I want to know more about life through organic chemistry. Um, and uh, he, he and my mom were not very sure that in which field I would go into because in Pakistan, the profession of teaching is not considered to be very lucrative and it's, you know, uh, looked down upon. So, um, you know, they started calling a lot of people, uh, you know, relatives and people who had done their degrees in, in, in chemistry and, you know, asked them to guide me if I'm thinking the right direction. Uh, you know, at that time when I was 17 years old, believe me, every single person was saying, no, don't go for this field. Uh, you'll be called a chemist. You'll be selling medicine or you'll be making medicine. And I said, no, I don't want to you know, be a chemist or want to 
make medicine or sell medicine. I just want to explore this field and, and understand and comprehend the complexities of life. Uh, but I'm very grateful, you know, I got uh, support from my, my family and they said, do what you are passionate about. <clears throat> and uh, I went to uh, public sector university in Pakistan. I did my BSc honors, which is a four year degree. Uh, and then I did one year of masters in organic chemistry. And then I decided I should do my PhD, not from Pakistan, but from outside Pakistan to have much wider experience and exposure uh, in, in the field of academia. Uh, I started applying and, and I received uh, admission offer from Cambridge University uh, to do my PhD. <clears throat> and uh, I received three scholarships, uh, partial scholarships, which paid for my uh, tuition fees and accommodation. Um, and, you know, there I went to University of Cambridge, which, which, which was an amazing experience for me to see a very different approach towards education in itself. And it was there I um, came across uh, how they promote science learning in school, uh, in schools in, in the UK. And I got involved there, I was very much fascinated. And, and at that time I asked myself this question, what if I was exposed to such an environment uh, in Pakistan maybe my approach to science would be much more broadened and much more depth. I, I would have much more depth in it. Um, and then, uh, you know, after I finished my PhD, my, my, my PhD thesis received a Toby Jackman Prize for the best PhD thesis uh, in chemistry, in, in any subject, uh, you know, from St. Edmunds College. Uh, and then I went to University of York for my postdoc. Uh, and there, again, I was again involved in this field of teaching as well. I was teaching undergrads in the laboratory as an instructor. And I was also involved in uh, promoting science learning in schools. You know, I used to be judge or, you know, interact with students. Uh, then I went to Canada, McGill, for my another postdoc. And uh, in 2009, I decided to come back to Pakistan mm. and, uh, you know, my family is a, it's a joint family system. So to support the family, uh, I didn't have any offer uh, when I came. So I, I joined my father's business, uh, which gave me a very, very good experience in terms of management, in terms of business. Um, and, you know, that entrepreneurship skills developed at that point in time it was around five years that i spent there with him but meanwhile i was also involved into teaching in school as a part-time teacher um, and also developed uh, or, or, or established a company uh, to promote science learning in pakistan so i got involved in many projects some mega projects in pakistan uh, where i was interacting with young students and promoting science learning. And to my surprise, you know, even in the best of the best private schools in the country, uh, students, those young children were fascinated mm. by the science around them. So my objectives at that time was not to make 
students, these young children, scientists, but to make them appreciate science around them. Right. Um, and then in 2014, I was reached out and then I joined, uh, you know, I, I got involved with the uh, examination system of the country. Right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, I think it's a familiar story where we, I study international students and you, you leave your, your country and it's, it, it's a completely different experience, but something something draws you back, something, something brings you back home and to, to bring the skills that you had or the experiences that you had, because you want, you want other people to, to have that. Cause not everybody would get to go to, to Cambridge or leave. So uh, I think that's, it, it's an important part of, of the story. And, and for a lot of people, I think that's something that they might be potentially grappling with. You mentioned you went to the, uh, the examination board because you jumped from the hard sciences, you jump from chemistry into maybe more of like education or an area that maybe some might consider more of like a social science. So, so I'm wondering what maybe the differences there, what, what, what have you brought over or is there a different way of thinking or, or challenges that, you, that you've run into with, uh, with working with uh, different kinds of discipline potentially? Uh, this is a question which uh, people ask me every day. Um, and they're very curious about, you know, what made me, uh, uh, you know, decide to move in this direction. Uh, one is, you know, I was always passionate about education itself. Uh, but then, you know, especially when I talk to uh, young students uh, who are thinking about different areas of specialities, uh, and my advice to them is that if, if, your degree helps you to comprehend complex information of life. Uh, you know, if, if it is able to develop your different skill sets, then it prepares you for life. You know, those were the skills, you know, I would call it 21st century skills. They were preparing me for that. And the academic rigor that it required, you know, that discipline that it, it required from my side, uh, it all helped me to move in this direction. So, uh, for example, in chemistry, one of the things that, you know, during my PhD, uh, which I consciously know developed a lot, was my observation skills, my ability to uh, think about new questions, uh, my ability to solve problems, think critically, be more creative about it. Uh, so all these things help. And in chemistry, you know, you, you work with big data as well. You know, you try to interpret uh, and, and identify new molecules. So there are so many data that you work with. And in this field of examination where we are, you know, it's an awarding body, Aga Khan University Examination Board. I'll talk more about it, what it is all about. But uh, in assessment, it's a lot about uh, data, how you interpret how you understand it, how you comprehend, and how you make um, decisions which are fair decisions, how you make decisions which are valid, how you make decisions which are reliable decisions. So uh, even my work in, you know, in the industry when I worked uh, for five years, that helped me uh, to take risks, to, to you know, take uh, difficult, tough decisions, 
uh, understand uh, people. Uh, you know, in, in when I was in academia in, in my time at Cambridge and York and McGill, I did realize that, you know, it's a very secure world that I'm living in. And at times it was very difficult for me to make those tough decisions to, uh, you know, to be very bold. And working there, uh, you know, made me uh, much more bolder. So now I'm, not, you know, it's a private examination board, but I work a lot with the government. I have some government positions that I hold. Uh, so all those experiences helps you to develop. Uh, but the, the key point uh, that I think young students or young scholars should think about is whatever degree or academic program you're into, uh, you have to take it from a lens where it helps you to comprehend complex information of life. It also helps you to develop uh, key skills. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, one has to be conscious that it is being developed uh, and in how you can think about where your weaknesses are and you continue to work on it and improve those. And that's how it helped me uh, when I work in this field of examinations and assessment in the country at national level. Yeah, let, let's jump into that because you've shared with me some interesting videos and I'll, I'll share those in the show notes because uh, I think our audience would be quite interested. And I mean, we in these videos, we see students sort of making rockets and 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 hands-on learning and this kind of thing. So can you maybe tell me a little bit about the examination board? I think somebody in the video also mentioned, you know, it, it's an assessment, but it's also teacher material. It's also curriculum. It, there's sort of uh, all these different things. So can you kind of talk about what that is and, and what it looks like? Yeah, uh, like before I talk about the examination, Aga Khan University examination board itself, I think it's important for me to uh, give you some overview of the education crisis in the country. Uh, you know, uh, we've got around 23 million children who are out of school, uh, who've never seen schools. Our dropout ratio is very high from prime, primary to elementary school and then to high school. Uh, and we have very low percentage of, of students who enter university. Uh, the country is plagued by issues of corruptions, uh, you know, non-transparency issue. And when it when you come into the area of uh, academic content, uh, in Pakistan, there's a culture of rote learning, you know, memorization of the textbook. And one of the major reasons for this is that the assessment component of the country has been very weak and nobody focused in this area. So the country developed curriculums. We are, again, uh, you know, this country is developing uh, or revising a new curriculum, which is called single national curriculum. Uh, even the last curriculum, which was developed in 2006, uh, was very good. However, it was not implemented in its letter and spirit. The benchmark of the assessment, the examinations, was to memorize the content of the textbook. It would ask you uh, exactly the same thing, and you were expected to write exactly the same words of the textbook. And everybody knew if you do and write this way, you'll get good marks, you'll get good grades. Um, and 
because these uh, high stake examinations determines your promotion to the next level so even teachers in the classroom tries to achieve those benchmarks those standards <clears throat> and prepare students uh, in, in that direction because they know that the promotion to the next level is dependent on the scores and even the teachers appraisals are dependent on how students would be performing so this vicious cycle continues so uh, the entire education system you know became plagued with this rote learning culture in the country and there was no approach towards conceptual learning even i am the product of the same system um so then in mid 1990s group of educationists came to the aga khan university which is one of the best rather i would say best university in the country uh and uh they proposed and requested if aga khan university can establish a private examination board which can do assessment bring high quality assessment which can bring in transparency which can bring fairness which can bring good quality assessment which is reliable valid and fair and that can also help uh, to improve teachers quality uh because you know if you have a good benchmark then teachers would follow those benchmark as they know that for them to succeed both students and teachers needs to be aligned with those standards uh then in 2002 this examination board was established through the ordinance or the act of the government uh, the federal government of pakistan uh and in 2006 we took our first examinations um you know we had very unique features that you know we took the national curriculum of the country and developed our own uh examination syllabus based on the national curriculum of the country um and the essential features were that each uh learning outcomes that were given to the students we broke them down to make it more simplified it's not you know so it's not confusing for the teachers that is where to start and where to end and then uh each learning outcomes were tagged with different cognitive level so those were given to students uh the test specifications were available for students and teachers as well <clears throat> and it really helped both teachers students and even the exam developers in the examination board uh of aga khan university to develop a very comprehensive examinations which can assess multiple cognitive abilities of the students and can develop a very balanced examination uh, paper um then we also had uh you know we were the first one i think in asia to start with the electronic marking system uh that again is is very unique uh in the country in addition to this we uh consciously made efforts to support the teachers we knew that from the beginning that the teachers were also coming from the same old system who studied uh in the schooling uh through that rote memorization culture uh so we would need to provide all the support to the teachers um where they can uh understand what those standards and benchmarks are and there were a lot of trainings done then i i think our previous speaker who also had his education from in his masters of education from pakistan 
which is from Aga Khan University Institute of Education Development. They also played a key role in developing our syllabus in 2004 and 5 uh, and helped the teachers uh, where uh, they are able to understand those standards and the academic rigor that is required. Uh, we also develop departments of research so that we can make informed decisions. Uh, so, you know, with all these, when we uh, talk about the operations side of it, you know, when we conduct examinations across the country, you know, in, in our country, unfortunately, cheating is rife in examinations. And it's very common. And AKU examination board came out to be that examination board, which was considered to be the most transparent, which does not tolerate uh, the, the wrongdoings or, you know, in the exams, uh, you know, we, we have our examination centers where each exam halls are even monitored through uh, CCTV. And our approach is not to keep an eye on the students, it's on to keep an eye on our staff, whether they are following the SOPs, uh, they're doing a good job or not. So that is the philosophy where we ensure that we are not threatening the students, we are not uh, you know, creating anxiety amongst our students, uh, rather we are more supportive to ensure that uh, students are able to uh, show their true potential in the exams so that the performance is not, uh, you know, compromised. Mm. Yeah, one of the things that uh, is kind of curious, you watch, you, you see what's happening. I mean, I was an outsider, so I look, you know, the materials that you provided and it's it sort of goes back to that old uh, like John Dewey type of thinking of like education and, and using your hands and getting an experience. And, and maybe it's some of the things that you even mentioned in your own life that you sort of said, Oh, why didn't I do this earlier? Think about this earlier. But, but the other side of that is, well, it, it sounds like not everybody is, is on board potentially with, with these types of changes or, or these types of uh, this type of exam system. So, what is the pushback or, or, or why why would some say, you know what, we the old way of doing it that we we still need to keep that? Like what, what maybe is the argument that they would that they would say? Um, a very good question. Um, and, you know, the answer to this is that for any kind of a revolution in, in education, it takes time. You know, this examination board got uh, established in 2006. You know, we first took our exams in 2006. And uh, it's been like, you know, a few years now, uh, less than 15 years that uh, we've been in the field. Um, so I would say that the success that we've seen so far uh, in terms of the being a change agent or, or in terms of changing the mindset is that now the government of Pakistan realize and recognize the importance of assessment and examination in the country. Uh, you know, they've involved me in many, many areas. You know, I've, I have, last year I was a chairman of one of the, uh, you know, very powerful organization of the federal government been part of the National Curriculum Council, Synth Curriculum Council, been part of more than 30 uh, government committees where I, I support them. Uh, 
and they all realized that now, yes, this is the way forward. Uh, we have one province, like a state in, in the country, uh, which is called Sindh. The Sindh High Court um, last year gave a judgment that all the examination boards in the state of Sindh or the province of Sindh uh, should follow the Aga Khan University Examination Board benchmark. This is a very, very significant achievement because yes, the Aga Khan University Examination may be able to directly impact a small minority of the population, but for us, we think our indirect impact is far much more larger when we interact with the government, when we help them introduce better policies and help them develop those capacities. Like, you know, my board is involved directly with Balochistan province, which is another state, you know, uh, where we, we develop capacity of their assessment bodies. Uh, our Aga Khan University Institute of Education Development has been extremely uh, effective in the past many years now, I would say, where we can see uh, those graduates are now part of the government. They are working for the government right now, those graduates, where the ministers are taking advice from them to make decisions. So, but you know, while all these good things are there, there is a huge uh, drawback that we see is the capacity issue at large. Uh, you know, you've got millions of teachers, uh, you've got millions of students in the country, then you've got out of school children issues as well. Uh, we don't have enough schools in the country. So uh, the country tries, you know, when they are trying to make decision, they, their objective is to make sure that everything changes for everyone at the same time. Mm. And I am not uh, in favor of that decision because it is not possible in realistic point of view. You need to move phase-wise, and that's where you can change the mindset and the approach because once you have a successful story that you can showcase within the public sector, and we have shown when we have some public sector schools who are with us, they are competing against uh, private sector schools, and they're even doing better than private schools, which are mm. very good private schools. So you, you, you saw that change that happened. Uh, and I believe in, in you know five to 10 years down the line, things will be much better uh, in terms of the field of assessment at the public sector, where people will demand from the government that this is the direction that we want to go to. So it is a slow process. We are very conscious uh, of that. Uh, and one has to be patient because you can't change everything uh, for everyone at the same time. Mm. Yeah, you, you mentioned something kind of interesting. It's it's part of part of a change is not just implementing it, but it's actually getting people to to buy into it. And one of the things that uh, was mentioned, at least in some of the material, was that I think it was for maybe even a parent who said, you know, this this material comes from people that are from Pakistan that had that have education here and and that went to the same kinds of schools that they're that they're trying to change and that that live in our communities rather than people coming in who you know are from international agency or from another country or something like that 
so what, how, can you talk about how important that was that it came from sort of a, a domestic push and a, and a domestic uh, university connection as well? So uh, one, I think, approach to look into it is that a university plays a very important role, you know, because you have great scholars in the university who can give their very strong input um, in, in developing uh, contents or philosophy itself. Uh, second is that, uh, you know, you, you do get people, you know, in Pakistan, we get a lot of people coming from different parts of the world who contribute in improving the education uh, sector of the country. Um, some of them are, have been brilliant, you know, and, and we are grateful. And some of them, I would say that um, because they don't understand the relevance, the, the contextual, the cultural aspect. Uh, so whatever suggestions or recommendations that comes from them uh, fails to be implemented because uh, it is not relevant to our society. Uh, you know, in many meetings uh, within the government, when I sit and talk, uh, a lot of people give me examples of Finland. <clears throat> and I said, they're doing a brilliant job. They've shown the world that their system works better. But, you know, you can't expect to take the same model and bring it over here. One size fits all doesn't happen. We need to look into the, the great points, the, the, you know, the, the great decisions that were taken in Finland or USA or Canada or UK and try to bring it over here and think from a cultural, contextual and relevant uh, point of view and uh, develop a model which is most suitable for the country. Uh, uh, unfortunately, in Pakistan, you know, uh, we, we look at the West and we say West is the best. And uh, yes, take it from them, but we have to be very cognizant of the fact that uh, whatever we do take, uh, it has to be relevant so that it is implemented more successfully. And we have shown that for the last uh, 12, 15 years that uh, this model has been working. And as I said, the government has now recognized uh, AKU Examination Board as the model examination board uh, for the country. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I, I think uh, uh, on this podcast, definitely, we're we're trying to to figure out how we can how we can really think about local context, and that's why we we want speakers like you and and our other guests to to really talk about what's what's going on on the ground and and what we can learn from from your experience and and your education setting. Um, I think maybe the final question, I know this has been something that you've been working on, uh, trying to figure out like how to manage everything under the circumstances of COVID when maybe things aren't online or, and, or some people don't have access to digital technologies. Um, so can you kind of maybe talk about that, uh, that project or, or those ideas that are sort of, uh, that, that you're working on right now? Yeah. Um, like COVID was, a you know, has been a big disaster globally. Uh, and I think it is not only Pakistan, which has uh, uh, faced those challenges. Uh, we are all in it together. Uh, but again, the important thing is uh, what kind of decisions we have to take based on our own reality uh, is very important. Um, you know, 
majority of our student population in Pakistan uh, comes from uh, middle or low socioeconomic background. Uh, so expecting that every child will have a device, uh, expecting every child will have a, uh, a connectivity, I think uh, you know it's false. It's a we in Pakistan mostly we have a joint family system where we have ten to twelve family members living in one house, um, and uh, you know for a child to study they need some privacy as well, mm. uh, and you don't get that. Uh, so one has to manage uh, all these things. Uh, we've been lucky from AKU examination board's perspective is that. Uh, while we, we, we know that we are small in terms of number of students and schools in the country, though we are spread around in different parts of the country, um, we have engaged uh, with our schools and teachers and students throughout uh, this crisis. Uh, last year, uh, when COVID hit Pakistan was in March, and that is a time when all schools uh, have completed their curriculum and are preparing for exams or tests. Um, so, because the thing, because things were not getting, uh, things were not good in terms of COVID spread in the country, uh, the government decided to cancel the examinations, mm-hmm. and they. Uh, as a chairman of Interboard Committee of Chairmen, uh, which is a part of the Ministry of Education at federal level, uh, I was given the task of how do we move forward, how do we promote students, and what would be the steps then onwards. Um, so I, along with my team, my colleagues, uh, worked together and also a few members of the uh, government bodies to develop promotion policy guidelines. Uh, in, in my examination board, uh, you know, key role were played by you know, Dr. Naveed Yusuf, who's Associate Director of Assessment and Research, uh, and uh, Hanif Sharif, uh, who's Associate Director of Operations. Uh, they played a huge role in terms of analyzing things to you know, develop this policy to promote students uh, without exams. So, what we did is we had previous data of the students, uh, how they performed in the previous grade. And we used a predictive uh, analysis uh, to see how previous cohorts had performed in a grade uh, level higher than they are, previous, uh, they are currently in. And predicted for, I think, for the last three years of around more than a million students. And uh, based on those evidences, we gave promotion policies for the students uh, to promote to the next level. And that is for grade 9, 10th, 11th, and 12th, where students appear for high-stake examinations. Um, This decision turned out to be very good uh, for the entire country in, in the sense that there was no litigations uh, for any examination boards in the country. You know, we have uh, 33 government examination boards uh, and who took that decision of promoting students with those guidelines. 
and there was no litigations by any students that they thought that this is an unfair decision for them. Uh, you know, for us, it was very important that our decision decisions that we take should be fair for everyone and has to show equity for all, regardless from any province students are coming from, regardless of uh, either they're coming from rural or urban or even remotest part of the country. Uh, then the challenge that we had in the COVID time, because schools we knew because of COVID may shut down for a certain duration and will open again. Uh, we looked into how many academic days students would have and based on that suggested, uh, let's uh, trim the curriculum in a way that for the next academic year, uh, we can uh, assume that students would be able to complete this trimmed curriculum or reduced curriculum or condensed, condensed curriculum. We call it rationalized syllabus. <clears throat> and uh, we decided that uh, in normal conditions, students are able to complete their syllabus by March, end of March. This time we will give them additional time to complete their uh, syllabus by end of June and we'll take our exams then onwards. Uh, we changed the modality of assessment uh, a little bit uh, where we made sure that any, uh, like for example, we can't do marking, uh, mm. marking hall together because of COVID issues, SOPs has to be followed. So we moved in the direction of the exam has to be completely MCQ based, multiple choice questions. Um, practical examination of science uh, we changed into alternate to practicals, but for all those things, all support system were given to the schools, the teachers, and uh, the, the students on a periodic level, the support system was there. And one important thing was that uh, when the academic year uh, started in August, uh, 2020, uh, schools had the syllabus and they knew what the expectations would be for 2021. So they knew in what which direction they were going. Unfortunately, at the government public sector, those decisions were not taken and uh, things mm. got delayed. And right now, still we are deliberating uh, whether exams will happen, how it will happen. There's a, it's a chaos right now. Uh, a lot of people have really commended Aga Khan University Examination Board for uh, having a good foresight and taking a better decision. I, I won't say it's the right decision. Uh, time will tell, but it's, it's definitely a better decision that we took for for our students and stakeholders. Right. I think I think it's it's a good point of that. You know, we're trying to do our best, but it's it's all unprecedented. So everything we're making is in some ways kind of a guess, and we're. I know you're you're just trying to hope that that it works out and and. You know, but we won't know until COVID is and the results of COVID and this type of thing, you know, we'll see in a few years or even 10 years down the line. Absolutely. Because see, uh, we can't, you know, if we even think that let the students repeat the year next year, we have a huge backlog. While mm -hmm. right now at present, we are thinking that in the exam centers, when students would be coming, they have to follow SOPs. We don't want to have high student population in one center. If we let all the students who are supposed to appear for exams this year 
to also appear in the next year exam with the students uh, in 2022, we won't be able to manage it. And we don't know whether how COVID behaves. I hope not. What we see, unfortunately, what has happened in, in my neighboring country, India, uh, it's a it's a it's a huge disaster there. You know, it, it's really sad to see. But unfortunately, like God forbid, if something happens like this in Pakistan next year, you won't have exams then. You know, you can't bring all the students mm -hmm. together. Uh, we can't go on to online examination facilities. As I said, we don't even have proper electricity in the country. You know. Uh, connectivity issues are there, devices issues are there. Uh, if you let students do online examinations, it creates a unique anxiety, you know, of exams, which we don't know. So how can we be sure that those exams would be fair for those students or not? So we need to be very cognizant right. of those, uh, you know, possibilities that could arise. So uh, I've been advising the government to close the this current academic cycle ASAP so that we can start thinking about uh, developing strategies, identifying those risks for the next uh, academic year and uh, make our plannings for that. Well, it's it's a somber end, but at least the the sector has someone like yourself you know who really cares and who knows and and who who's really focused on the students and the teachers and and the system so uh dr jiva thank you for joining us We're, we'll look forward to seeing you know the the results and how how sort of this plays out over the next couple of years and maybe maybe have you back uh one of these days in the future potentially so thank you very much thank you so much for inviting me and it was uh, an absolute pleasure to talk to you yeah. and this concludes our kicks eap podcast which is released every first Wednesday of the month. Of course, the opinions expressed on the Kicks EAP podcast are solely those of the host and the guest. The Kicks EAP podcast is made possible by Kicks, which stands for Knowledge and Innovation Exchange. Kicks is an initiative of the Global Partnership for Education. Globally, Kicks is administered by the International Development Research Center in Canada. NORAG in Geneva hosts one of the four regional hubs of Kicks. Thanks for listening. Find us on the NORAG or GPE Kicks websites. You can subscribe to the Kicks EAP podcast, newsletter, and webinar series, and also learn about Kicks global or regional projects. Additionally, you can subscribe directly on Spotify or SoundCloud to receive notifications of the new monthly podcast episodes.